Many of you know that about six weeks ago, I was in a car accident. I was coming home from a church event, so it was about nine o'clock at night, and I was coming around a bend about a mile from my house and discovered a car turned sideways right in the middle of my lane. And the oncoming lane was also blocked because somebody had slowed down to see if that driver was okay. See, that driver had lost control on that same curve, gone into the ditch, and then ended up uh, back on the road. I slammed on my brakes, but it was too late. There was no way that I was going to be able to stop in time. And so I clipped the front of that disabled vehicle, went off the road into the ditch, eventually hit a boulder that stopped me. Um, although, thankfully, I'd slowed down quite a bit before that happened. Both cars were totaled. But much more importantly, no one was hurt in that accident. But things could have turned out very differently than that. I was driving highway speeds, and if I had rammed into that car... I very easily could have killed that other driver. And irrespective of any of the circumstances that had led to him being in that location at that moment, I am confident that he had family and friends who would have been very angry with me if I had killed him. Perhaps even angry enough to want to see me experience that same fate. Now, we live in a society that has institutions and systems to address those kinds of situations. We have court systems and lawyers to plead our cases and to make sure that justice prevails uh, in the end. And yes, that system is not always perfect, but it is a whole lot better than having nothing. In the ancient world, Whenever there was an unlawful killing, a member of the family or clan or tribe would be designated as the avenger of blood. And it was their role and responsibility to track down the killer and execute justice by executing that person. While intended to be an instrument of justice, and it was supposed to be used only in cases of intentional murder, it too was an imperfect system. And so there would be times where ego or emotions or just unclear facts and loyalty to clan would compel uh, the avenger of blood to take a life even when he should not. And sometimes this would set up a cycle of violence that would continue as each side would try to get the justice that they felt that their family deserved. But for a society to flourish, it needs to be well-ordered and just. Because otherwise, because of our brokenness, things will just descend into chaos. The Bible reminds us of this all the way back in the very beginning. Lamech, who was one of the descendants of the murderer Cain, boasts of his willingness to kill someone for far less than murder. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. 
hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. That kind of thinking makes for a great supervillain, but not for a great society. In our series in Joshua, we have seen how the Israelites entered and claimed the land of Canaan, how God was faithful to the great promise that he made to Abraham to uh, provide his descendants with a great homeland in which they could settle and live. Last week, we saw how this land was divided and then distributed amongst the tribes. And so we have now seen that Israel has received their inheritance But for Israel to become a great nation, they need to trust God. But they also need to set up a well-ordered and just society, including finding ways to deal with killings, whether intentional or accidental. And so this morning, we are going to see how they do that. We're going to learn about the role that the one tribe that didn't receive any land played in having that happen. And we're going to discover how what God did way back then is also intended to inform how he wants us to live today. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. If you don't have a Bible app, On your phone or tablet uh, or your own Bible with you, I encourage you to grab one of those red ones in front of you. If you're using a red Bible, um, we're going to be on page 302, 302, and we're starting in Deuteronomy 19. Before Moses died, one of the things that he instructed the Israelites to do was to establish cities of refuge. So in in Deuteronomy 19, we read this, Uh, and this is Moses speaking to the people. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving to you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Determine the distances involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. Now, this is instruction that Moses gave to the Israelites before they crossed over the Jordan River. And so the land that Moses is talking about here is actually land that's on the east side of the Jordan. This is land that was captured and settled by the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And within this land, on the east side of the Jordan, they are to designate three cities as cities of refuge. They are to be places that someone who has killed someone else can flee to for refuge, a place where they will then be safe from the avenger of blood. Moses tells them to make sure that they spread these cities out so there's never one that's too far away. Now, look at verse 4. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally, without malice aforethought. 
For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbor without malice aforethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourself three cities. So this is a really important point here. Cities of refuge are designed to protect accidental killers from overly zealous avengers of blood. Verse 8, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he's promised on oath to your ancestors, and gives you the whole land he promised them, because you carefully follow all the laws I command you today, to love the Lord your God and walk always in obedience to him, Then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as as your inheritance, so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. So this enlarged territory that Moses is now talking about is the land of Canaan. And so Moses is telling the Israelites that they are also to set up an additional three cities of refuge in the land of Canaan. So one of the things that we see here is that justice is very important to God. And one part of justice is making sure that innocent blood is not shed, and meaning the blood of those who, would act, who have accidentally killed someone else. But of course, justice also demands that those who do kill intentionally, who murder, are still held accountable. Look at verse 11. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. So with all of that background in mind, now turn to our text for today, which is Joshua 20. And that's on page 360 if you're using a red Bible. So Joshua 20. And what we're going to see is that now that the land has been conquered, it's been divided and distributed, it is now time for the Israelites to designate and to establish these six cities of refuge that Moses had instructed them about before they crossed into the land of Canaan. So Joshua 20, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. 
If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice of forethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home into into the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali in Shechem. Sorry, try that again. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. So in addition to this command that they are to establish these six cities of refuge, three on each side of the Jordan River, here in Joshua, we also get some more instruction on exactly how these cities are supposed to operate. When a killer would show up at one of these cities of refuge, before they would be allowed in, they had to make their case to the elders of the city. They had to explain what happened and why they believed they qualified for protection from the avenger of blood. Now, at this point, they didn't need to prove that they were innocent of intentional murder, just that it was plausible that this was accidental. And if they're able to do this, then they were admitted into the city. And if and when the avenger of blood then arrived, they would be turned away. This, however, was not the end of the matter, because at this point, the city of refuge was only a temporary sanctuary for this killer. It provided time for an official official, um, investigation to be done and for a proper court to be organized there in the city where the killing had actually taken place. And once these had been set up, the accused killer would then have to appear in that court in order for their case to actually be adjudicated. And if the death was determined to be murder, then that killer would be turned over to the avenger of blood for execution. But if that death was determined to, in fact, be accidental, then the killer would be guaranteed safe passage back to the city of refuge, which would then become their new home. So they wouldn't be totally free because they were still a killer. They just weren't a murderer. And so their life would be protected, but they would have to live in the confines of the city of refuge. And if they ever left, then the avenger of blood could lawfully kill them. Now, obviously, this is not how we do things. But the point of all of this is to establish a just society, one where the innocent are protected and the guilty are held accountable. 
And these rules and regulations, they were for all people. It was to be the same both for the poor and for the wealthy. Basically, you could not buy yourself out of this crime. And it was also supposed to be the same for the Israelite and for the foreigner. No one received preferential treatment. All of them, everybody was to be treated equally before God and under this law. There was, however, one way, but only one way that the killer could truly be set free. That they could leave the city of refuge and safely make their way back home. And that was through the death of the high priest. When the high priest died, killers living in the city of refuge could safely return to their homes. Now, commentators are not in complete agreement about why it is that things work this way. But some of them think, and I would agree with them, that it had everything to do with how the high priest represented the nation before God, especially in regard to guilt and sacrifice. So applied to the case of killers living in the city of refuge, the high priest's death symbolically terminated their guilt. And the avenger of blood would accept the high priest's death as a substitute for the death of the killer. And it means that with the high priest's death, all necessary compensation had then been paid. The killer is then set free. They're able to return home. Hands cleansed of the blood that they once shed and the threat of the avenger of blood no longer hanging over them. And so that meant that for these killers... The death of the high priest was gospel. It was good news that set them free. But see, my friends, this is also gospel for us. Because this is yet another instance of how God has been weaving the gospel into the book of Joshua. It's another way the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, showing us how all of the Bible finds its greatest fulfillment in him. See, Jesus is God who came to us, who became one of us to be our great high priest. He came so that he could represent us to God the Father, so he could intercede for our guilt. And become our great sacrifice. His high priestly death. A substitute for ours. Ensuring that all necessary compensation had been paid. So now we have been set free. We are destined for our true home. Where we will all reside forever with him. Our hands clean and our hearts free. From all fear of judgment and death. Because our high priest died for us. And so this is the gospel that Jesus taught. This is the gospel that the New Testament authors repeated and that the Old Testament points us to. This is a gospel that has been made available to all people, whether rich or poor, whether neighbor or foreigner. Except in this case, everyone is offered preferential treatment because everyone and anyone who will pledge their love and loyalty to Jesus can be forgiven and set free. 
Now, I promised you, or the title of the sermon promises you not only cities for killers, but also cities for priests. If you remember from last week, we saw that the land was divided into a dozen allotments, and then it was distributed amongst the 12 tribes. But in this allotment, Joseph's tribe got two, and Levi didn't get any. That's because Joseph's sons were each treated as separate tribes, and because God had a different kind of inheritance lined up for the Levites, an inheritance related to their special role and responsibility that God had chosen for them. And this is something that actually started all the way back in Egypt at the beginning of the Exodus, referring, of course, to God's miraculous rescue of his specially chosen people from their slavery to Pharaoh, a rescue that God brought about through 10 devastating plagues, none worse than the final one in which God took the lives of all the firstborn males in Egypt, both human and animal. The firstborn of Israelites, however, were passed over because of the shed blood of a lamb that they painted on the frame of the doorways going into their houses. But even though God had spared their lives, God still claimed all the firstborn sons of Israel for himself, setting them aside for sacred purpose. But rather than taking the firstborn males from all of the tribes, God instead claimed all the males from one tribe, the tribe of Levi. These he gave a special role and responsibility to. He made them priests and the caretakers of the tabernacle and eventually the temple. Numbers 3, we read about this. The Lord said to Moses, bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest, to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligation of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offerings of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They are mine. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. Now, because the tribe of Levi had been set apart to be priests and caretakers of the tabernacle and of the temple, God also designated a different kind of inheritance for them. And part of God's provision and inheritance for them would come from the tabernacle itself. When the rest of the tribes would give of their tithes and offerings to God, a portion of what they gave was then designated to the Levites for their support and provision. But of course, this was good, but the Levites still needed places in which they could live, and they needed land on which they could graze their animals. And so this also God provided for them. Uh, Look at Joshua 21, starting in verse 1. 
Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families in Israel at Shiloh in Canaan and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own inheritance. The first lot came out for the Kohathites, according to their clans. The Levites who were descended of Aaron the priest were allotted 13 towns from the tribe of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. The rest of Kohath's descendants were allotted were allotted 10 towns from the clans of the tribes of Ephraim, Dan and, ha- Dan and half of Manasseh. And the text goes on from there. But to summarize it, a total of 48 cities and towns are, to de- are then designated for the Levites. And included with each of these towns was 500 yards of pasture land in all directions from the town that the Levites could graze their animals on. If you read through the rest of chapter 21, it lists the names of all 48 of these towns that were given to the Levites. I'm not going to read it for you, but if you do read through it, two things in particular stand out. The first is the location of these towns. These towns were dispersed throughout the land. Even though most of the Levites' work was going to focus around Shiloh um, and eventually Jerusalem, because these were the centers of worship. This is where the tabernacle was. This is where the temple would be built. But even though this is where their work centered around, this is not where their cities centered around. Instead, these cities were pretty evenly distributed throughout the land. So sometimes when a Levite's time of service came up, some of the Levites had to travel a pretty significant distance in order to get uh, to where the tabernacle or, or temple was so that they could perform their duties. The second thing to notice is that of the six cities of refuge, all six were also among the cities that were given to the Levites. So what do we make of all this? It seems that by God's design, the Levites were intentionally spread throughout the land. God didn't gather, nor did he keep them near Shiloh, near near Jerusalem. Instead, he chose to scatter them out amongst the people. Those that he had specially claimed, he also then dispersed amongst the land. And as such, as a dispersed people, they could operate as his special representatives and agents amongst the rest of the tribes. And because of the Levites' knowledge of the law and worship, they were then well equipped to show and teach the people, teach the rest of the people how Yahweh wanted them to live. And because they knew the law and what Yahweh expected of them, they were well qualified to discern what was right and ensure that justice was enforced throughout their land. But see, this also meant that when someone had accidentally spilled someone else's blood, and they were being hunted by the avenger of blood, it was the Levites who would hear their cries and would provide them refuge. And they would do this ensuring 
justice and safety, not just for the Israelites, but also for the foreigner. And this, my friends, is where I think that we should see ourselves in this text. Because like the Levites, we have been claimed by God and set apart for special role and responsibility if we're a follower of Jesus. And he's distributed us across neighborhoods and towns. He sent us out into this world. He sent us so that we can be his representatives and his agents of grace and gospel everywhere that we live and work. Because we worship him and because we know the scriptures, we are well equipped to show and to teach others how God has designed for us to live. Because we know the scriptures and how God wants us to live, we are well qualified to discern what is right and to help ensure that there is justice for all. It also means that when people are most broken, when they are most ready to despair, we are the ones that God sends them to so that we can listen to their cries and we can provide care and refuge no matter who they are or where they come from. Because as his specially chosen people, These are the kinds of things that God has set us apart for and then has dispersed us out in the world to do. In a few moments, we're going to sing a blessing to each other and then our service is going to come to an end. Hopefully, you'll then stick around for a few minutes and fellowship with others, maybe try to make a connection with somebody that you don't already know well. So that's the kind of thing that's important for us to do. But then you're all going to get into your car and you're going to leave. You're going to drive to your home and your particular neighborhood and town that you live in. You're going to get ready for work tomorrow or for the beginning of another week of school. And that's a good thing because God has scattered you to all of those places For a purpose. Those are the places that he is sending you to be his representatives and to be his agents of grace and gospel. And so go to all of those places as as people who are ultimately headed to our true home because of the death of our great high priest. Go as people forgiven and cleansed by Jesus. This Jesus of ours who didn't just die as our great high priest, but who's also risen and is coming again. Let me pray. Father, we bow before you as the creator and sustainer of all things. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our great high priest and accepting the sacrifice of his life for the forgiveness of our sins making it possible for us to be part of a specially chosen people that you have rescued and redeemed for yourself. Jesus, thank you for being our great high priest, for your willingness to come, to become one of us, so that you can intercede to the Father on our behalf, and so that you can die in our place, all for the sake of making us co-heirs with you in the kingdom of God. And Holy Spirit, 
Please continue your good work in us, transforming our minds and our hearts and our hands that we would become more like Jesus, that we would be your agents of grace and gospel in all the places that you disperse us into the world today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.